Crowds are moved by great speakers, but lives are changed by great listeners. Whether between us and God or us and other people, listening is the prelude to love. A quote by the late Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. But Adonai your God turned the curse into a blessing for you because Adonai your God loves you. Deuteronomy 23, 3 through 5. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Matthew eleven fifteen. Welcome to Beth Tikkun and our ongoing study of the Torah. This week we're in portion Balak. I'm Tim Pell and I'm glad you're here. And before we dive in, I want to answer a question that one of you asked a few weeks ago about the Bible that I was reading from. This is the Bible that I use, uh, or the journal Bible that I use for my notes when I'm studying. It's from Crossway. It's ESV, uh, and it's each book of the Bible in its own volume. So this is Numbers. On the left-hand side is the text, and on the right-hand side is a blank page for you to write all the notes you want. And this is typically how I do my study. They're not supporting us. Um, um, we're not endorsing them. We don't, you know, whatever, all that, all that stuff. But I encourage you to check these out. Uh, there's another version of this that has a lined page. I like the one that has blank so I can draw as well. So just wanted to let you know and answer that question. All right, so let's dive in to Balak. First, I want to um, mention that unlike... Unlike the previous portion, Chukat, that had so many different episodes listed, Balak is dedicated to a single episode and its many scenes. That is, it's, it's a relatively succinct and unbroken narrative. Despite this focus on a single episode, Balak is still rich in deep lessons. Uh, and so let's, let's go ahead and, and look at the outline of the portion first. So, number one, uh, Balak fears Israel and sends his officers to Balaam, seeking to hire him for his assistance. Two, uh, after some back and forth, God gives Balaam some ambiguous permission to go, but he's angry about it. Balaam is taught an important lesson on the way through the talking donkey and the angel. Balaam then speaks God's blessings instead of curses over Israel three times in three places with an additional prophecy, much to Balak's chagrin. That makes him mad. Balak uh, and Balaam then part ways, and then we read of the episode of the Israel's worship of Baal and their sexual immorality and what Phineas does to rise up and stop the madness. So that's pretty, a pretty succinct arc there that we have going on. Now let's, let's review a few of the previous things that we have learned in Beth Kuhn, um, in previous teachings over the years, over the many years. Go over some of those, and then I want to add something else to the mix as well. It's important to note that in three places in the Brit Kadashah in the New Testament, the, uh, Balaam is mentioned, and he isn't, uh, he isn't painted favorably. What this does is gives us some very important information uh, about his true character that is hard to see or read uh, or to, to unearth or discover in the Hebrew itself. So this is very, very important information. It also shows us that the influence of Balaam in the ancient world was significant. This is a Gentile prophet, a Mesopotamian prophet, who spoke to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, and he was well known. Uh, and so his, 
his influence had, had quite great reach even into the time of Yeshua and the, the disciples. So let's, um, let's read these three passages from the Brakadashah. The first is 2 Peter 2, verses 15 to 16. I'm going to get out my bigger Bible. This is my NASB. And we'll start there. 2 Peter 2, verses 15 to 16. And this passage uh, shows us the, the way of Balaam as it's described here. So the way of Balaam. Verse 15. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he received a rebuke for his own transgression, for a mute donkey, speaking with a voice of a man, restrained the madness of the prophet. So the way of Balaam is the love of money, the, the wages of unrighteousness. Going next to Jude, which is just a couple books later. Jude, um, verses 11 through uh, 13. Verse 11. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, and for pay they have rushed headlong into the error of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are the men who are hidden who are hidden reefs in your love feasts when they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves, clouds without water, carried along by winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up their own shame like foam, wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. Yikes. So the error of Balaam was that he had no loyalties, only to himself. In fact, we learned that Balaam uh, is the Hebrew, in the Hebrew means man of no people. He had no people, no loyalties, uh, certainly didn't have a love of God or, or God's people, only the love of, of money. The third passage from the Brikharashah is Revelation 2.14, so just one book later, Revelation 2.14. <clears throat> But I have a few things against you because you have there some who hold the teaching of Balaam, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit acts of immorality. Here is, here's a key verse here that shows what the plot of, of, Balak, of Balaam was um, that isn't spelled out in the Torah portion. It was his idea to send the Midianite women to Israel to tempt them, um, and it worked. So, so those three portions are, are, are important to, to keep in mind as you're reading through this passage. Back to the, the point that, uh, that I made of how he's a Mesopotamian prophet, he's a Gentile prophet, uh, doesn't, is, not, is not a, an Israelite, um, and yet he has these spiritual giftings. In fact, uh, many of the sages say that he had uh, uh, equal or greater spiritual giftings than Moses did, um, which, which we can accept. We can accept that someone could have high spiritual giftings, but also be, as evidenced here, spiritually immature. 
So never, ever be fooled. Never be fooled by spiritually gifted people who may be very spiritually immature. Pay attention to the fruit of their life to know if, in fact, they walk in the Spirit. Um, then their giftings are relevant and are useful. Uh, but be, be very wary. And if you have a spiritual gifting, don't take that as an indication that you are spiritually mature. There's other ways to find out. Uh, so this is an important lesson here, that he can be as spiritually gifted as Moses, but not have uh, the wisdom or the ability to obey uh, God's will. Uh, next we go on to the donkey, something we learn about the donkey. Um, and I'll read from my little journal Bible here, Numbers 22, verses 22 to 35. This is the passage of the donkey uh, and the angel. Get my readers here. But God's anger was kindled because he went, and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way of his adversary. Now he was riding on the donkey, and his two servants were with him. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the road and went into the field. And Balaam struck the donkey to turn her into the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on either side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed against the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. And Balaam's anger was kindled, and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have made me a fool. I wish I had a sword in my hand, for then I would kill you. And the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey, on which you have ridden all your life long to this day? Is it my habit to treat you this way? And he said, No. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed down and fell on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to oppose you because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside before me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, Surely just now I would have killed you and let her live. Then Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I, do not, for I did not know that you stood in the road against me. Now therefore, if it is e- evil in your sight, I will turn back. And the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but speak only the word that I tell you. So Balaam went on with the princes of Balak. We've learned in previous teaching that the word used for the female donkey, here, iton, is related to and similar to the word for circumstances, um, uh, tanai, I believe. It's also that the the word for a donkey also represents the physical world, right? So our circumstances, our physical world, the things we have around us or have at our disposal to bring about our will. Um, So... In a sense, the donkey represents that which we use to bring our will about. Um, 
But like the donkey, the, the things we have, the circumstances, the world around us can change. We can get sidetracked. Uh, we can get hurt even. Or our, uh, our whole momentum forward in the path that we've chosen can be completely halted. Then the last thing we think could happen is that the donkey speaks. The thing that, that couldn't possibly happen happens, and we're not prepared for it. Contrast this with God's paths and his will for us and how when we walk in it, doors open. Ways are not made narrower. They're made wider and smoother. So a good indication of the righteousness of the path you're on, whatever that path may be, is the kinds of obstacles you face. Um, and that, that's, that's a very important lesson here, here with the donkey. Um, another important lesson in, ver- in chapter 25, verses 1 through 9. Let's go there. This is where uh, the Israelites have begun to bow down to the gods of the daughters of Moab, the Midianite women, um, and eat their food and um, uh, uh, engage with the harlot, engage in harlotry with, with the women. Um, so some points here I think are important. One is that the people were, the people were so easily seduced, it would seem, to bow down to the gods of the Midianite women. I think this shows that there was still a remnant of their Egyptian bondage remaining. They were living for generations in a culture that had many gods. And their, uh, their, their unwillingness or their just outright error and mistake to think that they could still worship another god is something that has to be taken out of them. It has to be uprooted and extracted surgically from them very precisely before they can enter into the land. Because this is the last episode. This is their last test, the last lesson they're going to learn before entering into the land. So this still needs to come out of them. And so God brought this all about so that they could learn, uh, they could learn this. Also, as far as what we need to understand about the enemy's curses is this. The enemy's curses will not destroy a people uh, who are righteous. But a righteous people will pierce itself when they let the enemy in their camp. The enemy's curses will not destroy a people of righteousness. But a righteous people will, will pierce itself when they let the enemy in their camp. Israel had no desire had no intent to attack Moab. Israel was just going about their business. They had no idea of all of the things that were playing out between Balak and Balaam and the curses and the, uh, the blessings and the asking for curses and all this stuff. They were just a people who were, uh, who were journeying through the wilderness on their way to the promised land. So they, they couldn't have known, and it was by design. When things happen in our lives, uh, or, or when we're going around uh, living out our lives, walking the path, living in the Spirit, we have to remember that there are things going on in the background uh, that God's taking care of for us. He is protecting us. Um, in Proverbs 26.2, we can go there. 
<clears throat> Proverbs 26.2. Like a sparrow in its flitting, or in its, in its fitting, I'm sorry, like a sparrow in its flitting, like a swallow in its flying, so a curse without cause does not alight. Balak's curse was without a cause. He was afraid of a people because of its size and because he thought what, what he thought they might do. But again, they had no intent to attack Moab. And in Isaiah, chapter 54, 17. Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon that is formed against you will prosper and every tongue that accuses you in judgment you will condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. Isaiah fifty four seventeen. Do not be fearful of the curses of the enemy. God is taking care of it. Um, and their curses will end up being their downfall. <clears throat> Israel is about to go into the land, Right? They're about to, they're, they are a nation, and they're about to be a nation with boundaries. And it is imperative that they get out of their system all the things that are left of their, of their uh, captivity in Egypt. Um, so this is very, very important. Something I wanted to share that I, that I saw, um, and it, it, it could be something that, could be not much, but I think it has some merit uh, to share with you now. And that is how often the, the words saw or see uh, appear in this portion. And I thought, you know, there's something to that. Um, blessings and curses are words. You need, you need to be able to listen to them. God was speaking to Balaam, um, and, and Balaam had to listen uh, but Balak, Balak was all about what he saw and inferring something based on that. So if we, uh, if we look through the passage, and I'll just r- rattle off here what, where they are. In chapter 22, verse 2, Balak saw and was afraid. In 22, verse 41, Balak immediately takes Balaam to see the edge of the people. So Balaam arrives. Um, the next morning they wake up and Balak uh, takes him up. So that he can see the edge of the people. See? Um, Then Balak takes Balaam to the second place to see them, see its edge, and not see all of it, all of them, rather all of the Israelites. So see, 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 look, look. Uh, And then, and that's uh, that's 23.13. In 23, verse 28, Balak takes uh, Balaam to a place that looks out over the wilderness, i.e. the entire encampment. And this is when uh, Balak... Uh, recites the the motto vu uh, that we use so often in our prayers. How goodly are your tents, O Jacob, your dwelling places, O Israel. He sees the entire encampment and is in awe. But Balak is is all about look, 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 right? Look. So he's he's fixated only on what he can see and the information he gets from that, which is not complete. Balaam hears God but isn't quite listening. So there's a seeing and listening problem here. So I want to put forth an alternative outline of the portion with this in mind. 
First of all, Balak saw Israel and became afraid, seeking the help of Balaam to preemptively attack Israel in war. Balaam heard God, but failed to listen to him. Like Balak, he only understood what he could see, and really only for himself. Balak Balak effectively controls Balaam's sight by taking him to places where he can see Israel as Balak sees him sees them. Balak wants some validation. He wants someone to, to, to understand his fear. Look, look, look. Uh, and he's getting frustrated because Balaam is not cursing when it's obvious to, to Balak that he should be. Three, Balaam's disregard of righteousness short circuits what could have been a much better story for him. For that had broad effect as his advice to Balak uh, was to attack Israel by tempting their sight through the beauty of the Midianite women and the lust of the flesh. And then finally, Phineas brought defense of the enemy's attacks by responding to the sight of the sin with not words, but literally clear-cut action, an act of war with an instrument of war. This was about starting a war, and Phineas, God bless him, wanted to end it then and there. So, seeing, hearing, listening, speaking, all these things, I I believe, are are very integral into what's really going on here. Um, And and I I hope that you can see it too, or hear it. Um, Interestingly, uh, in the in Greek thought, in Western thought, we think of learning something by seeing it. Uh, we make an observation, right? This is, this is Greek. This is a very Greek way. It's, it's, it's good and necessary. But in the Hebraic mind, it's much more about hearing. We hear, we will hear, and we will do, uh, we will submit. Um, so we need both. We need both of these things in balance. Uh, and Balak was, was way out of whack. Uh, Balak, I keep saying Balak, it's either. Balak was way out of whack, and they didn't consider at all what he heard. Because um, he may have heard that, that the Israelites were delivered from Egypt, not that they simply came out of Egypt, uh, and other information that, that should, should have reached his ears beforehand. And Balaam was hearing, but his own desire to, to practice his own will his love of money, his loyalty to no one kept him from really being an effective instrument of God's will in the world. Um, so the, the prestige and glory that he sought, uh, he, was, he just came short of by not doing God's will. So Another thing, too, before I wrap up that is something interesting that David and I were just talking about, about the donkey. So if we go back to that passage um, in chapter 22 what does so so he's riding a donkey and he's he is uh, he's eager to go first of all there's there's some insight that I read somewhere that said that how he so quickly saddled his donkey to go indicated some kind of eagerness and excitement and just like okay great okay we're going right so he this is something he wanted he wanted to go so he's probably doing it quickly and uh, maybe not taking care of his donkey very well. And then during these three times where the donkey 
first uh, sidetracks and then brushes his foot up against a, a wall or a fence and then stops. He strikes the donkey. He's, he's, he's abusive to this donkey. And, of course, he's going to war. So he's going to war. He's, he, he doesn't treat his donkey very well. And he's not, he, he's, he's not quite in line with what God's will is. And so it's all just kind of, things are just misfiring and, and everything's just going wrong because of his own desire for himself, right? What, where else... Um, in uh, the New Testament, do we know of someone riding a donkey? Of course, it's Matthew. Matthew 21. Yeshua, riding the donkey, uh, coming into Jerusalem. And let's go there real quick. Matthew 21. Matthew 21, verse 5. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Gentle is a is key here. If a donkey in the Hebraic mind represents the world, our circumstances, Yeshua is gentle. He's gentle with using this donkey to bring about uh, God's will. Right? He doesn't strike it. He lets it do what it is meant to do. This, of course, is a is a reference to a passage in Zechariah, Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Yeshua ben Yosef came humbly on a donkey. Yeshua ben David will come. So when Jesus comes a second time, when Yeshua comes a second time, he'll come on a horse, on a white horse, an animal of war. Balaam, going to war on a donkey. That's off. Balaam, striking the donkey, uh, getting frustrated with his circumstances because his, his circumstances who are that is responding to the angel of the Lord correctly, his circumstances are frustrating him because he's not able to bring about his will, his plot for himself. Uh, and when that doesn't happen, he brings about a plot that, that hurts God in, in a most precious place by hurting his people. And that's, that's really bad. So false prophets speak, but true prophets listen. And Balaam had a hearing problem, or rather he had a, he had a Shema problem. Time after time, Moses was having to remind the people to Shema, to listen. Pay attention. Listen to what I'm saying. Listen to what God is saying. As we know, the word Shema is fundamentally untranslatable directly into English, as it means many things. Means to hear, to listen, to understand, to obey, to internalize or pay attention to. So if it took Israel who knows how many episodes to learn to Shema Adonai, it certainly wasn't going to come naturally to Balaam, a Gentile prophet whose character was ambiguous at best, but treacherous at worst, and who had no loyalties to or love for anyone other than himself. 
His name, of course, means man of no people. God made it crystal clear to Balaam that he was not to go with the officers of Balak, not to curse Israel, and that they were blessed. If Balaam was a true prophet, he would understand, internalize, obey, listen, uh, and the story would have ended there. But he was not a true prophet, even though he spoke to God. Balaam failed to do a most cardinal act of faith, of faith in the God of words. He did not shema. He did not listen. So what was it he was having such a hard time understanding? God's will. Balaam could hear it and even transmit it to Balak and his officers multiple times. But the fact that he asked God more than once reveals that he didn't love God or his people. He didn't understand that God is sovereign, that God's word is the final word. So we ask ourselves, am I really actively listening, actively listening? Do I hear and see God's will, letting it take root deep inside me? Does the fruit of my life bear witness to the world of how I shema the God of Israel and walk in his spirit, his ruach? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. May God bless you and may he make us all into the people he wants us to be. Shabbat shalom.